This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Two things happening um, with City Council, and I'm going to get to to both of them uh, right now. W- one big thing is obviously they're back today. Do you remember when John Tory resigned? You do. It was four weeks ago last Friday. I know it feels like 40 weeks ago, but it was four weeks ago Friday. And he quits. And then the next week he comes back and they're trying to get the budget passed. And there's a whole bunch of disruption and disturbance. Chaos at City Hall, I think on the Wednesday, and our own Jason Chapman was there. He likes chaos and, and disruption, so he was there. And uh, and then they, that's it. And then John Tory kind of went away, and he's stayed away. So th- there wasn't going to be. We didn't know then even what when the election would be, and people were a bit relieved, thinking, "Can we get this going? Can we need leadership? We need accountability." Nobody's dismissing the job Jennifer McKelvey's doing so far as deputy mayor. No one is. But can we get this process started here? So I think really Anna Bilow kicked it off by saying on Friday, I'm going to run. I'm in. She made the rounds. She did our show. She was talking a fair amount about it. She gets an endorsement today that's going to be really, really interesting. And I'll explain why. Chris Moyes, city councilor, has endorsed Anna Bilow. Now, you might think, what's an endor- or ask, what's an endorsement worth for Toronto City Council? I'm going to tell you kind of historically, it may not be what you think, but I do think this is noteworthy, and I'll tell you why. Here's what Chris Moyes wrote, and we'll try and catch up with him later on in the week. I think we had him on just a few weeks ago at the start of the month of February. Deputy Mayor Anna Bailau has been an incredible pro-housing voice on city council, and I'm deeply honored to have her endorsement. Her perseverance on this file has sparked change in our city, and I plan to build upon her legacy at council. See our plan. So they're tight. Um, she supported Chris Moyes to get um, get elected as well. That's what he wrote in October. But um, at now we know Chris Moyes is all in on Anna Bailau. So they, there's a little bit of back mutual back scratching, as they say, politically. Now, I didn't it didn't occur to me as these races got going and we decided, well, who who's going to run for mayor and who isn't? I think we have a pretty good idea of the names that are going to. I think we expect Josh Matlow is in. I think we expect Brad Bradford is in. Um, I think there's a, I think I expect Mitzi Hunter to run. I do. I expect her to leave the Ontario Liberals and run for mayor of Toronto. And maybe um, and maybe there's a chance. I think she'll start really strongly. How she finishes is going to be up for debate. But I think she's going to have a really strong impact on on a campaign this spring. The big question is, does an endorsement matter? Well, you might say it would. I think it does for an incumbent. But my recollection, the last two elections, Tory beating Jennifer Keysmat in 2018 and Tory beating, well, everybody in uh, in 22, is there really weren't council endorsements. The last time I can remember there being a real significant swing of like, who's this city councilor going to endorse was Rob Ford versus George Smitherman. And the majority of councilors back Smitherman. But the people spoke, and Rob Ford won with 47% of the vote. George Smitherman won with 35 So I don't know if endorsements will matter, but I did think this is notable because Bailau is seen as sort of a progressive centrist. If we had to put a label on, on candidates, that's what she is. Moyes leans more left than right. No question about it. He's in Ward 13. Um, but he does care about the housing file is important to him. Safety is an important file to him. I think it's really interesting that he reached out and because she had his back in the fall, he's got her back now. So that's notable. And among the other contenders, it's going to be I'm going to be real curious to see whether or not some some counselors may just not give 
an endorsement at the end of the day. But this ends up being significant. You have to remember as well that this election is going to have so many notable names that the winner, the winner may end up, honestly, with less than 30 percent of the vote. I'm almost guaranteeing the winner of the mayoral election will have under 30 percent of the vote. They may have 22 or 23 because I do think there's going to be five or six notable candidates that split a good chunk of the vote that will all, vote that'll all get, you know, 12 to 15 percent. You can only go up to 100. OK, so if there's five with 15, you're already at 75 percent. And then there'll be a smattering of votes going here and going there. But that's how I see it. Um, you're not going to have somebody walk in with 47 percent of the vote or even 35 percent. I'd be shocked. Hell, we can't even have our federal elections. Our leaders are the prime minister and the liberals had 32.6 percent of eligible voters back in the fall of 21. Like, I don't think we'll ever see a federal government again with 40 percent. So I'd be shocked if we see a mayoral candidate with that much. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. If I said uh, GTHA fair integration, you'd probably want to go back to bed. It's not a terribly exciting topic. And Sheba, I don't know if you lived in your previous um, incarnation as a downtown Toronto student or person, whether you would do this regularly but people are getting frustrated. I think it's something that may even become an election issue with I got to pay to get on the go train and then I have to pay something else to get uh, the, the, the subway somewhere. And then I hop on a streetcar. The concept is, can we get to the point where we where we flat rate most fares, where you just show a pass and you are and London just introduced this in the UK a couple of years yes. ago. But they have zones. If you travel in London, England, Paris, other cities. It would divide the GTHA into 15 zones to where you get on a train and, and yes, you're, you're supposed to pay more for going a longer distance. We've done that with the go forever. Um, but the concept is splitting us into zones just to make that integration a little bit easier to make sure, A, that everybody pays and B, um, that it's that it's fair and, and they need every trick in the book, basically, to get people back on transit. I think this is long overdue. I was in London last summer and just the concept when we took public transit, it was so easy on the tube just to go anywhere. There's this huge map there. It costs. And yes, sure. If you go outside of a boundary, you would have to pay more. But that boundary is very far. So, I mean, yeah. I'm seeing these 15 zones. It's from Eastern Durham in the east to Waterloo region in the west which is amazing it goes all the way up to barry simcoe and then obviously the lake uh, i did live downtown for 10 years uh and honestly for me i mean i was a downtown snob meaning that mm -hmm. i would think anything north of Bloor is like no man's land so you, and i think a lot of people feel that when you live downtown and one reason is because a you don't need a car when you live downtown uh and for the times that you do need to go to the suburbs suburbia you it's just too complicated sometimes it's too expensive you have to pay this to go where you have to pay extra to go there it's just forget it nobody's going out the floor if we really if we really want you know some uh great food maybe we'll hug, go up to young and eglinton but that's it yeah uh, like, so like yorkdale going up to allen road is too far going oh that's up to, middle of nowhere going up to north york's too far middle of no nowhere way. exactly that's how no, you i'm telling you north downtown. of bloor that was the cutoff we were downtown snobs my friends and i who lived down there in different you know condos and apartment buildings uh, this is after we graduated school as well just north of bloor you don't do that that's no man's land and, and, was, and you're right about london like london you're not tapping like tapping on tapping off oh i gotta get another line i need to transfer i gotta take a tube and then a streetcar and then the tube again it's it's nobody thinks about London that way. You you know that you'll have a lengthy trip, but guess what? You get to sit there 
And and even if you have to walk and transfer from one line to another, there's no extra cost involved. And that's like that's what the concept is. It's a single fare system for travel within the city. And it's not all based on on distance. And that's where where we got to get to. Starts at three dollars and twenty cents. That's what it would start at to go from one end to the other with all 15 zones and then an additional $1.50 for each additional zone and then $2 after that. So it does continue to go up. But just the fact that you have that mobility, mm-hmm. because you see people, right? They have their different passes, different this, different that. I mean, when I lived in York region, it was so complicated. Unless it was the GO train, it was so complicated to get downtown or take public transit, the bus. I think this is overdue for Toronto. We absolutely need it. So I think and if if you and I are, well, if we're running Metrolinx or the TTC, the, the conversations they must have when they sit around is say, is anything is anything too expensive? If we lowered the price, do we have the same number of riders? It's the same, if, if I started, let's say I started a WNBA team here in Toronto. Let's say I did. And I said, let's make the average ticket price. Let's make it a big thing. And let's make the average ticket price um, uh, 80 bucks. It's Toronto. People can afford it. But then if I only have 8,000 people show up, the question would be, do I, if, I, if I dropped it by half, do I get double the people? Would I get 16,000 people paying 40 bucks? Or am I better off with 80,000 at, at, at 80 bucks because mm. I valued the tickets high? I think we're there with transit. I always make the case. If me and three friends want to come down from Ajax, uh, and come down on a Saturday night, and and you're charging us basically 21 bucks a ticket. It's 84 bucks. We're not a family. What is our incentive for me and three friends or two couples to get on a go train and come downtown for for a hockey game or for dinner when yep. you're charging us 84 bucks? We'd rather pile in the car, park really close to the venue, and then we've got about an extra 50 bucks to spend amongst each other. You, they exactly haven't incentivized it. this for us. No, they haven't. And you know what? This conversation has been actually happening since 1986, believe it or not, in the Ontario legislature. There was an MPP that first used this word, fair integration, that early, 1986. Mm. And they've, they've, they, and what they said was, this has been discussed on and off for the past 15 years or more. So this is, it's we're overdue now. I feel like we're starting to fall behind on a global scale. Toronto, there's so many issues that we're, we, com- for, we complain a lot. But there's not a lot being done. And obviously, you know, our municipal politics, we've been a little mm-hmm. distracted. A bit messy. Yeah. Yes. So once we get back on track with that, we need to really um, make some bold moves. I think this is one of them. Yeah. And especially, I, I always think of that for students and seniors. That seems to be the concept for me. Because uh, if we're going to help uh, kids decide to, to move downtown and go to one of the universities or colleges, um, you you better make transit affordable to them. And the same thing with seniors who are going to stay uh, in the city. We see the migration numbers, and they're not good. Um, I am a uh, I am a nut allergy household. I don't even think I know if you are, but I don't think you no. are. Nobody's no, got a nut allergy. All. And I didn't know you were a nut allergy household. So yeah, my oldest, my oldest has a peanut allergy, um, and he has a, he has a fish allergy. He's um, – I, I, we had – like fish, shellfish or uh, all fish? Like all fish. Um, oh. We had fish and chips one night, and uh, I forget where my wife was, and uh, we eventually found her. And uh, my son's mouth, like his, 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 he started to close up. You're never worried they're going to die, but we've gone oh, to the emergency room on. twice. No, that's my first thought. Oh my god, they're not going to die, but they're, they're like they're they're they. But there are a- certain kids who have that pain. I know, I know a woman personally who spends her spent her whole children's elementary school career volunteering at the school because her kid had such a severe allergy that they would die if they came in contact with peanuts. So she just stopped her career and would go volunteer at the school. But she had to keep an eye on them. Then eh? that's exactly wow. it. Wow. 
Yes, that's how bad it can be. So, t- so your your son is okay, like in that respect. Yeah, that I, I, he can be around it. Like I could, I could devour a, a big. I could put salmon on the. What we what we're careful on is to make sure cutlery and plates, you know, stuff isn't on the same plate. A burger's not next to a big piece of salmon, sharing that same airspace. But you could have a you could have salmon on one side of a barbecue and a burger on the other side. And as long as I'm using different utensils, I don't give it a second thought. He can be around it. Some I know what you're saying. Some kids, it's the smell of it right away. Yeah, and they go like they can't even go yes. into like McDonald's or or Baskin Robbins. And or you whatever. can't even bring. You know what Wow Butter is? It's the yeah, fake peanut yeah. butter. There's no peanuts in it. You can't bring that to school. Schools, many mm. uh, boards have banned it be- just because there's a kid with an allergy. They get the anxiety that they get seeing it, being unsure <laughs> if that's peanut butter or you know yeah. nut free. It's just too much. You can't even bring wild butter to school. So I think we saw this. My wife and I saw this documentary. I think it was actually on TVO, but I think it was made in the UK about five years ago. And the concept was give babies um, like little tastes of peanut butter when they're really young, like not even when they've got teeth. Yes. And this this new research at says do it between four and six months of age. It cuts down dramatically peanut allergies. You can cut allergy cases by 77 percent. That's the government's advice. We we didn't do that for sure. And and experts naturally say here's like a proviso, like don't give them peanuts because they'll choke on them, but give them just tiny tastes of peanut yes. butter, and that will um, like on their tongue, just like put it on their tongue and the, or in, in the, inside the cheek of their yeah, put it mix cheek, it in yeah. with that Gerber stuff, and yes. uh, and that'll prevent their their allergies in yes. the long term. Yes, this is, and I don't know why my kids aren't allergic because I didn't do that either. Yeah, uh, but I did nurse them. I don't, and I ate a lot of peanut butter. I love peanut butter. We're a big peanut butter household. Maybe that's that's maybe. how they uh, that's how they got their peanut butter. It was through you. Uh, <laughs> it's a third person experience, but it's almost. a tough allergy. My heart goes out to any family. Who who has this allergy because it's it's even on a plane. Remember when they used to give out peanuts on a plane? Yeah, yeah. It's stressful. And people worry at baseball games because people eat peanuts and shells yeah. are all over the place. There's peanut-free sections oh, that's at baseball terrible. games. That's, um, so tell us, about does a nut allergy impact you or your family regularly? We want to know what, what your experience is. Text us, 416-870-6400. Yeah, I love the question. 416-870-6400. Uh, how does it affect your life? And even if it does as an adult, I'm really curious about that, um, whether it sort of wanes with time or whether you're as allergic as you were 20 years ago. 2% of British kids now have uh, nut allergies. I bet you it's no different in Canada. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's another uh, NHL game and another Pride Night and another controversy. Sorry, as Canadians say, to say. And this involves good Canadian lad James Reimer. You remember him, played for the Leafs for a good chunk of time. Um, unfortunately, your your prominent image of James Reimer might be like face down in Boston when the Bruins got that overtime winner after the Leafs led 4-1 in Game 7 in 2013. But who wants to think about that? But that's probably how you best remember James Reimer. So he's playing with the San Jose Sharks. They've got their pride night on Saturday. And uh, there was a bit of a rainbow-themed jersey that uh, they were going to wear for warm-ups on pride night. And Reimer says... No, thank you. No, thank you. I won't wear it. Um, he's uh, very religious. He grew up uh, in the Mennonite uh, religion, and he is—he's basically in. He's all in on the Scripture and God and Jesus. Here's the issue on two fronts for me: is this isn't that difficult a gesture, and so I understand those saying. 
just put on the jersey. You're not endorsing any sort of, you know, act in itself. You're saying that everyone's welcome in the NHL. Is that true? That's another conversation. But that's what the sweater says. Secondly, secondly, and this is not in defense of Reimer, but it's the most obvious statement, is the NHL should have known, and many leagues know, and almost all businesses are well aware that you get a bunch of people under one roof, in one building, they won't all feel the same about something like this. Do I think um, any form of discrimination of anyone who is gay, who is lesbian, who is trans, who is is great? No, not at all. I'm anti that level of discrimination. I want people to be who they want to be and love who they want to love. Now, there's always parameters. There's always issues. We've been dealing with this uh, this year with this Oakville Trafalgar controversy. There's people in the trans community that think this is all a big joke and that this person is is putting us on. And there's people that absolutely say, leave them alone, let them do what they want, okay? We should all aspire to have responsible and reasonable conversations about this. All of us should. I got it. I'm with you. But um, the concept is you're welcome at an NHL game, not I endorse all that is to do with being gay. Reimer doesn't have to do that. And I'd make the case no employer should make any employee say that or do that. I don't believe that. And this is why it's going to be really, I can think what I think, but how am I supposed to make you think what, what, what I think? How am I supposed to coerce you into thinking that what I think is something you should think? Now, there's, it, we got a different conversation with legal parameters. And these are different conversations than our parents had, and certainly than our grandparents had. Many people, many of our parents were adamantly against the idea of two women getting married or two men getting married. We know that let alone third rail issue in the 80s and 70s would have been, can two men raise a child together? Are you kidding me? Two women even. We wouldn't have, our parents would not have been as on board as our generation is about that. So some of that's evolution. Some of that's us growing. Some of that is us developing. But here's the problem. And I don't know that this is a problem. There's no way to suspend or punish James Reimer for this. There isn't. What are you going to do? He's at his workplace. He's there to do his job. He's not refusing to play the game. He's not refusing to wear the uniform. He's not refusing to to show up and and not stop pucks. Or if he was backing up that night, be part of the of the backup process. Chart the shots, wear a ball cap, go in if the other guy stinks. There's there's no way to suspend or punish him for this. We've got people by the way that advocated for Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during the national anthem. We've got people advocating for him saying, Colin Kaepernick's great. I'm so glad he took the knee. Has absolutely every right to do that. What? James Reimer wouldn't wear a pride sweater and warm up? Suspend him. You do realize the false equivalency, and they don't because that's probably not the only false equivalency they carry around. You do realize what hypocrisy that is. And maybe we're all hypocrites at the end of the day, period. It's pride night. It isn't that difficult. I think that could have been handled internally. I absolutely think there was a way to do this. And I'd make the case as well. Other teams have just said, forget it. We're not going to put this on our players. 
There's a star forward in Minnesota named Kirill Kaprizov. He's Russian. Maybe he's Russian Orthodox. Okay? He, uh, the Rangers have several prominent Russian players. Both those teams scrub the idea of wearing special sweaters. They both did. Now, not if Evgeny Malkin is Russian. He wore a pride jersey when the Penguins had their pride night on December 12th. Okay, fine. Look, um, there's more than enough occasions where I think your workplace is going to say, hey, we need you to be there and represent for this. And if you believe in it, fantastic. And, and by the way, if you don't believe in it, great. You don't have to participate either. This is where the Flyers were stuck with Ivan Provorov. How on earth could they make him wear a pride jersey? He cited his Russian Orthodox religious beliefs. Do I think those beliefs have some bigotry to them? Yes. Do many religions have some bigotry to them? Yes, absolutely that's true. But I don't see Ivan Provorov being hateful. I don't see James Reimer being hateful. If you want to make the case that he's being ignorant, I can listen to that. I can listen to that. But how? Do, what do we do with ignorance? Punish it? Coerce people into being non-ignorant? How's that go when we shame people and say, you need to think like I think? How's that go when we say, I'm doing something, and you're not doing it, and I'm going to tighten the screws and make you do it? How does that go? How does that usually end up? What's the end scene in the movie before the credits? How does that work? Usually not very well. Usually not very well in the least. I'd love to hear from you and get your sense of this. 416-870-6400 via text and, uh, and see where you're at on this. I think the NHL makes itself puts itself into more trouble than it's actually worth. Than it's actually worth. Look, we've got a lot of, there's a lot of LGBTQ rights issues happening in the United States. And I suppose you could make the case there's some of it here. And some of it is, to me, absolutely nuts, absolutely misguided. Um, I, I know there's people worried that rights are going backwards. I don't see that quite as much as others do. But again, I'm a rational human being that doesn't mind a debate, and I'm I'm always willing to listen to a proper conversation if you're not hysterical and screaming and calling people names. I'm always willing to listen. James Reimer decided that I have uh, a religious background that wouldn't that would be at odds with me wearing a pride jersey to go out and warm up for 20 minutes. Now, again, do I think that's kind of ridiculous? Absolutely, I do. But I can't say Reimer should be punished for it. I can't say Reimer should be castigated for it. I don't think he should be ostracized by his teammates. I don't think he should lose endorsements. I don't think the the Sharks should look at him and go, you're a bad worker. How could we possibly do that? What are we learning if we say that that's the case? What are we learning? Are we being tolerant of James Reimer's views? I thought the goal was to be tolerant of everybody's perspective. If it doesn't get in the way of what they're entitled to legally. James Reimer didn't come out and say, I'm against gay marriage. Two dudes shouldn't be able to get together and marry. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. He didn't pull that stuff. He did it. Okay? And he didn't say it about two women either. He just decided my religious background trumps all. And I don't know what we do about scenarios like that. Again, we can agree to disagree. Bunch of the other players can go out there with their jerseys on. Of course they can do that. But I have no idea what we're supposed to do here. I have no, we got people digging back into the scripture. Well, what did Jesus really say about gay people? 
I don't care. I don't care. You have to basically you have to believe the Bible and its tales anyway to even have that conversation. Again, will I listen? Sure, I will. Will you, will my listening to you change where I'm probably at in terms of my view of what religion is and what religion isn't? I'm a pretty spiritual person, but I would not call myself a religious person. Probably not. 416-870-6400. I'd be curious to think what you think of this. Um, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean you have to support the cause. If you're not with us, you're against us? No, I think Reimer is allowed to be who he wants to be. You don't have to sign him up for your company to endorse a product. You don't have to want your kid to wear his sweater. You can throw James Reimer's sweater out tonight if you feel that strongly about it or if a prominent Toronto Maple Leaf felt that way about it, okay? You're allowed to be critical of his decision, but I don't think you can implicate him and and say, well, you don't have a job anymore or we're going to send you home and suspend you, okay? Again, a lot of people under roof. I just mentioned this with with where Justin Trudeau, Pierre Pauly, Everett, they've got a lot of MPs. They've got hundreds of MPs. Each has more than 100 MPs. What are the odds that they all think the same thing about all sorts of social issues all the time? But when you're under one tent, you find a way to make it work. Keep discussions internally. I think that's how that ends up working out. Okay? I don't... I don't think freedom of, again, freedom of speech is not always freedom of consequence. James Reimer didn't utter a slur. Remember Kevin Pillar did that for the Blue Jays a while back and he got suspended. He paid a price and he should have. That was the right thing to do. But Reimer not wearing a warm-up shirt? I don't know. I, I, I could think that his religious beliefs are somewhat bigoted. I could think that, but I can't sit there and suspend him for it. I can't do it. I can't justify it. I can't except that Reimer should have somehow, you know, come to terms with it. Come to Jesus, if you will. Well, he's with Jesus already. Anyway, you get where I'm coming from. How do you view James Reimer doing this? How do you view him not wearing a pride jersey? 416-870-6400. I'm curious to get your feel for what employees, especially in the public circumstance, especially a sport athlete. We're asking athletes to be political, I think, here. I wish he would do it. I would do it. I'd be supportive of the process because I'm telling you you're welcome here. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going anywhere else except saying come to the games. You can be a fan of what we do, and we've got your back. But beyond that, if James Reimer says he doesn't want to do it, I don't know what the, what, what the circumstances are to make him do it. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Edward Keenan's in for Alex Pearson. Uh, he wrote something that I agreed with uh, considerably so about our next guest uh, when he sort of summarized the mayoral uh, campaign. He said, Chloe Brown's strategy was actually an astounding win. She came third in the race to be Toronto's mayor. On a dollar-per-vote basis, Chloe Brown's shoestring election budget produced an astounding result. And I remember seeing her speak, and then we had her on the show, I think, twice before uh, she ran for mayor. And I said, "This we need more Chloe Browns in Toronto politics. She joins us now. She's going to run again for mayor in late June. So when the papers get filed April 3rd, she will be there. And she joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Good morning, Greg. Um, wow. Life uh, life takes you to some funny places, doesn't it? Four, four weeks ago <laughs> on the Friday, uh, the mayor resigns. What was your initial thought? And were there was your phone blowing up saying, are you going to run again? Absolutely. I was uh, asleep on the couch with my German shepherd and <laughs> CBC called. I wasn't aware of what was happening because Friday at 830, where is anyone but trying to rest? And yeah, I 
got all a lot of emails. People were buying me website domains. They were pledging donations. So um, I didn't really make a choice. The people spoke for me. <laughs> how how did you feel in the days after? It's all a whirlwind. You were probably exhausted after after the election result. And um, and though, you know, you fought bravely and gamely, I thought you were the most critical of John Tory out of anybody that was out there. Um, did you think ah, this this has invigorated my love of politics or do you find, kind of feel down a little bit after the result doesn't go the way you want it to? To be honest, it feels like deja vu. I was an unpaid intern during the Rob Ford era, and I was there watching council tiptoe around a very large management issue and to see it kind of play out in a very different way i'm not really surprised or disappointed i'm kind of numb to it at this point um and yeah i'm just ready for change and that's a part of being in the public service it doesn't matter what government is elected you have people to serve and that's my mission going forward you got almost 35,000 votes. Um, you were third place. Nobody else got more than 9,000 votes. Um, when people said, I'm going to vote for you, um, what, was the, what was the biggest reason you think you connected with those 35,000 people? What did they tell you and what was your view after it happened? The biggest thing that people really said to me is that they felt seen and heard for the first time in a very long time. And that was the goal of the that campaign. It was to make working class people remind themselves that leadership comes in a variety of different outfits. It's not necessarily a suit or someone who's been on the board of directors for the past two decades. It's the people that clock in eight hours a day to make sure that this machine known as Team Toronto runs. And that's really what I was trying to get back to. Like we are a team, each and every one of us as working class people, because we are the reason why people from around the world come here. It's not for mm -hmm. John Tory or Doug Ford. It's the way that we live. And in order for us to reclaim that, we have to be in these spaces, not just the executives and the business leaders, but like the working class operational teams. So, yeah. I just revived our team spirit as working class people. And I recognize that so many of us just feel unheard, underutilized. And it's really simple. It's just see people as they are and recognize that they're struggling and provide solutions. So, yeah, 34,000 was surprising, but it wasn't. Chloe Brown's uh, kind of to join us Toronto today, 640 Toronto. She finished third running for mayor in the fall and she's back at it again. Uh, this spring. Um, you know, when you say that, I think you're somebody that to me, you could sort of break through people's cynicism about politics. Actually, let me let me say that. You, I think people have a right to be cynical about politics. What I think we can't afford to be right now, Chloe, is indifferent. I think they're two different things. Yeah. You can be cynical. And, and I think we saw that with the turnout. People are like, ah, John's going to win anyway. Why bother? We just saw 22 percent turn up in Hamilton Center. Um, but I, but we voted a lot. We voted in, in the province last summer and we voted federally just a year and a half ago, but I don't think we can afford to be indifferent in Toronto. I think the next couple of years for transit, for safety, for, for policing, for housing, which you're, you're so passionate about, it's a very make or break next, next several months, even for the city of Toronto. Absolutely. And that's why I'm trying to tap into each one of us as active players on this field. Team Toronto is 
very important to me. Like we talk about the Raptors and the Maple Leafs and none of us are on the team, but we know bad management when we see it. <laughs> so it's really about us digging deep and saying like, hey team, like what are we going to do instead of like putting everything on the coach? It's like our responsibility to get on the field and give it a hundred. So yeah, I'm trying to tap in across left and right to really get to the heart of the issue where it's like, yeah, we are players on this team. We've been benched and now it's time to get off the bench and, you know, bring it home. We're champions and we have to act like it, train you, like it. If you're Chloe, if you're talking about a ban of Richard Petty ever being allowed back in the city for the Vince Carter trade, <laughs> I'm with you. I uh, I don't know that you can. I'd vote. You got my vote on based on that alone. Um, But, but you know, uh, eventually they got. Kawhi and and they won the title and all that stuff. So all's well that ends well. Here's what I'd ask yeah. you about uh, about John Tory. Did, did you look? He gets elected, and then it just felt like nobody's coming back to transit. We've got all these violent incidents. We've got more issues with homelessness. I I think people are a little more awakened and aware that they might have been sleepwalking through the last couple of years, and maybe they even were sleepwalking when they either didn't vote or who they voted for last election. I, I feel a vibrancy in this city with people being astute and aware politically, and they know we need to change some things. Absolutely, and this is why I went on that stage to just kind of give John a shake because a lot of us realize there is a management issue across the board no matter what job you're in, and it's because – senior and executive management have become really complacent with things as they are. And the only way to break through that is to really look at them as colleagues, as opposed to, you know, the all seeing leader and really challenge like what's going on and why we're not doing better. We have one of the most educated populations in North America and the Western world. And it's like, we're not being utilized to our full capacity because management is afraid that one of us may replace them. And then that fear trickles down. And yeah, we have to shake off the fear and just realize like there's more games that need to be won. So that's why I'm really tapping into like the team sports mentality, because that's really what shaped me as a kid growing up in Toronto. Like you might be the best kid in your neighborhood, but there's a better kid across the city and you better come, you better come with your A game if you really want to hold that title. So yeah, that spirit is really just reawakening in us because the seasons are changing and the guy that we thought couldn't be defeated mm. is gone. Well, so, I, uh, yeah, I, I think we're talking very macro, but I, I like it because you're talking about work ethic and too often in politics, there's just entitlement and the, 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 the smartest people are often the hardest workers. Like, I think we mistake that sometimes in, in life, in sports, in whatever, in, in politics too. Like you're mm -hmm. going to, if you're smart and nobody can outwork you, you're going to be a pretty unstoppable force. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite Netflix documentaries is the last dance with Michael Jordan. And you kind of get to see the behind the scenes of that really great, a spokesperson who's actually a demon taskmaster and that's really what that's really what I'm trying to tap into like my inner Michael Jordan and awaken Toronto to say like if you want to be a champion we got to do better collectively so it's really about us recognizing that we are leaders already we don't need 
suits. We don't need the proper last name. We already got what we need to be ready. It's about us showing up and demanding better for ourselves and our neighbors and our friends and family. Chloe Brown is joining us on Toronto Today. Last thing I got for you today, I know there was some concern that there wasn't enough debate time. Uh, the debates weren't taken seriously by all the candidates. Meritori didn't show up at more than, I think, yeah. two of them. How do we get a better exchange of ideas and debates and back and forth? And how do we do that this time around over over a three month stretch so that we're all all the voters are a lot more educated than they were last time? So this is where I become a project manager and I set up workshops and town halls and allow people to use their condo boardrooms to meet with me and kind of work through these problems the way that I work through them. As a policy analyst, I have a variety of tools that make me really good at my job and I don't plan to hoard them. And this is where like I'm getting my website and the rest of my social media ready with my team so that people can take a proactive role in inviting me to where they are and we get to talk about the issues because for far too long, it's like we're waiting for union or like the Toronto Regional Board of Trade to set things up. Meanwhile, we have the space in our libraries, community centers, et cetera. It's just about reactivating our imagination on our ownership of these spaces and our role in this policy arena. I can't wait to talk about a lot of policy issues with you over the next few months. Thank you for taking the time today. I'm really excited you're doing this. A lot of people are. We're getting texts already in about it. So thank you for spending some time with our show and, and uh, come in studio sometime when the weather gets better. I'd, I'd never ask you to come when it's this cold. So we'll wait till it gets warmer. <laughs> Absolutely. Take care, Greg. <laughs> Thanks so much. Chloe Brown joining us on Toronto Today. She is a mayoral candidate. She is all in. Second time round, finished third last fall this is toronto today with greg brady toronto's news today's talk 640 toronto the ontario by-election in hamilton center the ndp's had this riding for a long long time um there's a lot of issues and ways to unpack the the data and the numbers involved only 22 percent of eligible voters in the riding voted um and either i said this friday either they didn't like the candidates or they just knew who was going to win that's often the case but uh, NDP candidate Sarah Jama is the new MPP for Hamilton Center, replacing Andrea Horvath. But there is a there is a history. There isn't a question of anti-Semitic comments. There isn't a question um, that that uh, that those exist. And then do you say, well, that defines what an anti-Semite is, uh, is a lot of anti-Semitic comments. And I think you can that uh, you don't get born that way. You learn how to talk that way. Can you unlearn it? Maybe so. But I think the fair question is, did Hamilton Center elect an anti-Semite? I want to have a conversation next with uh, a gentleman who's been on the show several times. He's the director of education for the Abraham Global Peace Initiative. He is Neil Orlowski. Neil, it's great to have you back on Toronto today. Thanks for making the time. Good morning. Thank you for having me. What was your what was your reaction to, I, I guess, the result? Um, and uh, and I suppose, can we make the case that some people who knew the comments and decided to vote for her anyway. And some people just see NDP and maybe they aren't fully aware of all the comments when they go in and, and vote on, on Thursday night. Well, I think that there's, there's two issues on one hand. I think anyone that says they were unaware is concerning when they go to the polls for a number of weeks, um, our organization and a number of organizations have been raising the alarm bells concerning her history of contentious comments. Um, some that that really do, in my opinion, border on anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, anti-Jewish rhetoric, and so on. While on the other, I, I do believe that people are voting simply for party allegiances. 
Yeah, I, I wondered about that, and I wondered sort of where where this would land because you and I have enough conversations before to know people can talk about politics in the Middle East. They can talk about you know the rise and fall of governments. They can have an opinion on what's happening in Israel right now with a lot of internal rebellion um, towards Benjamin Netanyahu changing the judiciary system. Those weren't the comments of of Sarah Jama. Sarah Jama was very, to me, over the line in terms of just talking politics, if you will, with conflicts in the Middle East where Israeli Israelis and Jews were involved. Well, and, and that's exactly it. So where I took issue is the whataboutism, the conflating the Hamilton police with Nazism and the, the number of anti-Semitic tropes that was being used in her speeches going back, I believe it was 2021, that contravened Bill 202. Uh, which was the Anti-Semitism Protection Act that really says that the BDS movement violates the principles of academic freedom, promotes a climate of anti-Jewish and anti-Israel hate, leading to intimidation, violence on campuses and within um, our society. When you make comments like the Hamilton police are protecting Nazis, the the understanding is that they are, in fact, um, you know, perpetuating hate and then going further to say that they are specifically targeting black muslim and palestinian bodies and that they learn these techniques from those in power the idea of those in power plays on the anti-semitic trope that jews have power whether or not she specifically intended to mean jews that i don't know but the comment themselves and how they resonated, not just for the Hamilton Jewish community, but the Jewish community right across Canada is extremely concerning. Neil Orlowski is our guest on Toronto Today. They also went through a scenario in November where MPP Joel Harden was uh, rebuked internally uh, by NDP leader Peter Tabins. Harden had told a forum back in August. Um, he's asked many questions of Jewish neighbors about how much longer we should put up with this, the single greatest threat, the single greatest origin of violence in the Middle East. It is unquestionably the state of Israel. Again, you can question specific things. You can talk about violence. You can talk about the distribution of land and property. But that's a very demonstrative statement by Harden. And um, I know there's people in the Ontario NDP that are like, what are you doing? Where, where's the win here? You're one of our, our most prominent MPPs. you got to be smarter than that. Um, and, and then we get this four months later with an actual candidate that they had every opportunity to vet before putting her out there. Well, and that's again, it just seems like a, a constant barrage of anti-Israel statements coming from the NDP. Um, I do want to sort of um, separate. I don't know um, our MPP JAMA personally, so I'm going to stay away from calling her out directly for being an anti-Semite. But the comments themselves, the fact that we're conflating what's going on within Israel and the Palestinian territories, the judicial overhaul by Netanyahu, to what's going on then in Hamilton in Ontario is concerning. It just seems like anti-Semitism is, you know, a a um a, a poll issue, a political issue. That's something within Ontario, within Hamilton, within Joel Hardin's um riding himself, is something up for debate when that should be something in our foreign policy, not um, something that of activist candidates. Would it tell you a lot about the sincerity of her apology um, these next several weeks if she meets with members of, of, of her riding's Jewish community or indeed all across Hamilton? Would that say that she's willing to learn, that we're willing to accept that that people can alter their perspective, become more educated and, and be less antagonistic? If she does nothing to me, that that just says, I just cared about getting elected and I'm moving right along. 
Absolutely. She issued an apology, sadly, I believe, at the 11th hour when people were already going to the polls on Thursday, saying that she's, you know, considered herself a fighter for the people in the community. And there's no doubt, as a disability activist, I'm sure she's done outstanding work. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she admits a poor choice of words as opposed to these were my beliefs and I, I'm open to an education is concerning. At the same time, just yesterday, she came out and publicly via social media said, does anybody know how to get in contact with um, Elan Omar in the United States, which again raises the alarm bells because of, of the baggage that comes with Omar and anti-Jewish rhetoric, anti-Israel, anti-Zionism, that again, it plays on whether or not she was sincere on Thursday. Why then, of all the people you're reaching out to, you're not even an MPP for 48 hours, you're already drawing further controversy, as opposed to publicly saying, I want to come out and speak to others of the Somali community in Canada and of the MPPs. I welcome education. There's no doubt that comments made in 2021, people change but it doesn't seem sincere. And that's the concern. What's the job of of Marit Stiles here? Because I, I bring this up, Neil, because Pierre Polyev, for example, he's got 114 other um, M MPs. Um, I have a tough time getting everybody in my house to agree on things. And there's only three of them. So you got 114 MPPs. They're going to be or MPs. They're going to be opinionated. They have to weigh in on on big picture issues. Hell, we got four full time hosts here at the radio station and we wouldn't all agree on everything all the time. But there is that Pierre Polyev had three MPs go have um, lunch with this Christian Anderson person from uh, from Europe. And it's it's bad news. So. It's it's struggling, but I think Styles has to has to sort of you know get in and go. This is enough. This is enough. This is going to cost us more than it's going to benefit us if these kind of statements continue. I don't think in Hamilton, India is going to cost. This is a, a hard line NDP stronghold. Andrew Horvath's previous um, writing. Marie Stiles came out again. She said that, you know, JAMA has been unequivocal in her condemnation of anti-Semitism, and I disagree, as do other organizations. When JAMA and those who I would assume are her allies have come out and publicly condemned B'nai B'rith and the Friends of the Simon Wiesenthal Center and other Jewish organizations uh, as being fascist or, or so on, Marit Stiles should have removed the candidate prior to the election, and whoever is vetting these candidates needs to go, you know, further into the social media, look at Facebook and Twitter and what these candidates are posting. Three weeks we've been posting about this. There have been numerous articles written. The fact that she's elected and she held steadfast in her support is concerning. Again, Marit Stiles said that she has been a career fighter for the marginalized communities, and that's something that we need greater allies for. Well, well but, you saw them, Neil, you saw them drop, and this is my writing, they dropped Steve Parrish, who was who was the mayor when I moved to Ajax in 2007. His dad was mayor. A absolutely exemplary. No trouble with the law. No controversies with spending. Anything like that. So he's mayor a long time and was going to run for the NDP. But he wanted to have a street named after um, a German officer in the Second World War. Um, and they dropped him for that. Now, again, is that droppable? Maybe so. But this this didn't cross nearly as many lines as the things Sarah Jam has said in the last two years. Not to me, anyway. It, you know, I, I hate to say it. David Bedali wrote a book called Jews Don't Count. And that seems to be what we're fighting. That as... Israel as anti-Semitism, as anti-Zionism makes the news. I think sadly it's becoming white noise and the fight is becoming something that is exhausting people. Hate should, of any stripe, 
should never become a political issue. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. And sadly, this has been, and the NDP has a history of politicians, of MPPs, of MPs that seem to be taking anti-Zionism and conflating what's going on in Israel between Israel and the Palestinians with local issues. And that's the concern. I believe that Marie Stiles should have dropped her as a candidate. The fact that Jagmeet Singh in, endorsed her as well is also concerning because, again, it seems yeah. that when it comes to Judaism, when it comes to anti-Semitism, it doesn't matter. Neil Olosky is the director of education for the Abraham Global Peace Initiative. Um, thanks for your perspective on this. Let's talk later in the spring. I know we always like to get into schools and the issues and the bullying and whatnot, and we should. So let's have a longer conversation about that real soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And have a great week. You got it. Neil Orlosky, our guest.